Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. The Scripture says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Our Father and our God, as we approach Your Word today, we recognize that it is Your divine plan that there would not be any person within the sound of my voice, whether it be here in this room or whether it be those that are joining us online, that would not have something that the Holy Spirit wants to make available to them. Our desire is that we would be fed by Your Word and that from that feeding that we would develop a nature more and more like You. So lead us and guide us, O Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, before you're seated... I'd like you to shake the hand of one or two people near you and just tell them you're glad to see them here today. Amen. <clears throat> In the early 1900s, there were two brothers by the name of Glenn and Floyd Cunningham that grew up in Kansas. When Glenn was eight years old, his brother Floyd went into town to get what he thought was kerosene, but filled up a kerosene jug with gasoline unintentionally. After coming back home in that day and age, you doused your wood in the wood stove that was going to heat your house with kerosene so that you could start the fire and it would get going well. And Glenn and Floyd unwittingly loaded the wood stove with gasoline in their home. As Floyd lit the fire, the explosion that took place took Floyd's life. Glenn, who was eight years old at the time, was standing near him, and the, the flames hit him so strongly that it blew the flesh and muscles off of his lower legs from the shin down. So powerful was the blast that on one of his legs, it severed his tendons that gave him an arch in his foot, and instantly his foot went flat. The doctors, as they were Tending to Glenn told his parents it would be in his best interest for us to amputate his legs below the knees in order that he might live. When Glenn heard this, he was so distraught as a boy that he was going to lose his legs. He begged his parents, please don't let them do this surgery on me. Give me a chance. And so against the doctor's advice, the parents said, we would choose rather that you would not amputate his legs, but give us something that we can do that maybe we could do to help him. Over the next two years, Glenn Cunningham laid in a bed where every day his mother and father would come in and do their best to try to massage what was left of his muscles so that blood flow could continue there. He tells the story, and he said, I had a positive attitude, and he had a strong religious faith, and during that time, his favorite Bible verse was Isaiah 40, 31, but those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up with wings like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. For those of you that are Olympic historians, you may recognize the name Glenn Cunningham because not only did this young man, after two years laying in bed, learn to walk again, but he also learned to run. And he was in the 1932 and the 1936 Summer Olympics and finished fourth and second, respectively, in the 1500 meter. While on the ship going to the Olympic Games in Germany, he was voted as the most popular athlete by all of his fellow Olympians. Well, in 1933, for his achievements, he set a world record in the one mile, which stood for three years, and he set world records in 800 meter in 1936 and in the indoor mile in 1938. Now, you may be sitting here going, why are you telling us that story today? Well, most preachers that I know of would say, it's because if that young man can set world records on blown up legs, there's nothing you can't do. That's not my point today. My point is this, while he was running and setting world records, he did so with scarred legs, blown off toes, and a limp. Sometimes we run with a limp. Sometimes in our journey in walking with Christ, in the day-to-day living that we do, we do it with a limp. How many of you have ever in your life physically had to walk with a limp? All of you young people that are looking around, your day will come. Your day will come. At some point in our journey, regardless of how we live, there are going to be times when our faith is so tested, when our life is so challenged that the only way we can make it is to continue on this journey of faith limping. And we need to understand that even though we may limp and even though we may face difficulties, we have a God who will strengthen us and be with us and will allow us to continue on in our growth and in the things that we learn as a result of our faithfulness in this. The Christian life is described in many different metaphors, particularly in the New Testament, but also all the way through the Bible. And it's clear to us that there is nothing static about being a Christian. In other words, when you receive Christ as your Savior, it's not that you then just sit down and do nothing, but you are invited into an engagement, into a race, into a life that is loaded with activity and loaded with going somewhere. And so there are times within our walk where some people choose to sit in the stands and watch. Others are involved in the running. And some people even today might say, I am involved, but I feel like I'm stumbling more than I'm running. I feel as if today I'm just getting through. I'm just trying to get through. And maybe today you're running this life, but you're doing so with a limp. I want you to know that in order to consider a life of steady persistence, the writer of Hebrews spends a lot of time encouraging us about this. In fact, if you look at chapter 11 in what we consider to be the hall of fame of faith, One of the things that I love about that the most, and I was going through it again this morning, is so many of the names that are listed there as examples to us of faith at one time or another within their journey of faith did so with a limp. There were things that took place in their life that didn't seem to be overcoming or mistakes that were made, but they didn't stop them from continuing on. 
Maybe you're here today and you're going, man, I am just barely hanging on. Or maybe you're watching online today and you're going, you don't know what I'm going through. I don't even feel like I can go to church. That's why I'm doing this today. I want you to know something. Just keep doing what you're doing and keep pursuing the Lord, even if you're limping in this, because God will come through for you. The Scripture tells us that there is a great cloud of witnesses that is referred to within this. I, I want to clarify something for you. I want you to know that the witnesses that are mentioned here are for us to look at as examples rather than having them watching you while you are running. It would be a wonderful picture to consider the possibility that Noah and David and Joseph and Abraham and Isaac somehow had portholes that they could see out of heaven and were watching us and they were somehow screaming and cheering, come on now, you can do it. But there is no biblical precedent for that. We can't substantiate that view. I can't imagine my loved ones who have gone before us that somehow they are given a vantage point from heaven and they're looking down on us because it would not be joyful for them to see how oftentimes we are struggling in our faith. That doesn't sound like heaven to me. And so when it says that we have this great cloud of witnesses, it is for us to recognize that these men and women of faith through great obstacles, continued on, and they finished their race. If they can finish their race, you and I can finish our race as well, even if we run with a limp. The Scripture says to us, the first thing that's pointed out is stuff that hinders us. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin which so easily entangles us. A number of years ago, I was a guest speaker at a church in New York City, and it just happened to be on the day that the New York City Marathon was being run. We were crossing the Verrazano Bridge, and it was probably about an hour after the runners had started their race on that bridge, and there literally were snow plows that were plowing through the number of clothes that were left by the runners on that bridge. It was incredible to me how many people had came, and they dressed in their sweats, and they had their running suits, and, and they had different shoes than what they were going to run in, and they get to the starting line, and they took all of that off and put on new shoes, just left all their clothes there because they wanted to run uninvited encumbered. And everything that they had worn to stay warm getting there was not going to help them. I remember asking the pastor that was driving me, what are you, there is thousands of dollars of really good clothes laying there. What are they going to do with that? He goes, they pile it all up on the bridge and then they take it and they take it to places that it becomes donated to, to people. If you're going to run this race, you're going to have to deal with stuff that slows you down. And I want you to think this morning for just a moment about some of the stuff that slows us down when we are seeking to run the race of the Christian life. It may not immediately be what comes to mind, but, but we tend to think in really dramatic terms as it relates to sin that entangles us. In other words, we, we tend to run to really, really big sins that entangle us. I would like to take a different approach this morning because I believe that it will be far more applicable to us in our life if we look at this through a slightly different lens, what if it's not the really big things that entangle us? What if it's the innocent things that entangle us? What if there are allowable things or things that the Bible does not deny me access to directly, which are actually impeding my ability to run the race of the Christian life? For instance, what if I cherish other people's opinions of me 
more than I cherish the opinion of God? What about if I have a disposition that does not adequately reflect the goodness of the Lord and I'm just mean? What if my conduct in my life and the way that I live my life does not adequately reflect the glory of God? Even things that I do that may be allowed but yet are preventing me from being able to run this race with perseverance. You see, it's important that we don't simply overlook the intrusion of innocent things that may hinder our journey of faith. Let me give you an illustration. A number of years ago, we supported an organization that was called Missionary Aviation Fellowship. Some of you may remember it. I remember a time when they sent us pictures of the airplanes that flew missionaries in and out of different places there, and, and a couple of them that were in a hangar together, one of them was a beautiful single engine, another one was a beautiful twin engine, and then they opened the doors to those so that you could look on the inside, and we were stunned as we looked on the inside. These beautiful airplanes had literally had everything that was of luxurious nature ripped out of them. The seats were gone. The interior was ripped out. In fact, the only thing that was left on the inside of them was the airplane structure and the aluminum outside holding it all together. As we looked even at the dashboards of some of these things, they had all been dispensed with the padding, the doors, every extraneous piece that would provide unnecessary weight was ripped out of these planes. And we look at it and say, why? Was it wrong for our missionaries to fly in nice airplanes? No. But it didn't allow them the best opportunity to achieve their objective, which was they needed those planes as light as possible so that they might take as much medical supplies and as much literature as possible so they were prepared to sit on less than luxurious surroundings, not because it was wrong, but because it wasn't best. Most of us who are serious about running the race of the Christian life are not impeded in our journey by dramatic or prolonged sinfulness within our life. It's not that we are incapable of that, but most of us are not impeded by that. Most of us are actually hindered by the things that we tolerate that are allowable, innocent things, praiseworthy things, which we have unwittingly allowed us to divert us from the objective of finishing the race strongly. I'm going to give you some examples, and I know that as I do this, I'm going to hear from some of you. So be it. Let me tell you one of them. Family life. Well, surely nobody in their right mind is going to think that family life could impede their Christian journey. I cannot tell you how many times I have heard, boy, we would really like to do that, or we'd really like to attend church, or we'd re- but we've got family stuff. Does that mean that family is not important? Absolutely not. It's allowable stuff. But when you allow some things to begin to slip into your spiritual journey, even though they are good, that keep you from the objective, even innocent things can become things that entangle us. In fact... I talked to a pastor of one place, and he told me, we are a family-centered church. And my first thought was, then I wouldn't go there because I want to go to a God-centered church that understands that if he's the center of everything, then the rest of the family will all be taken care of. 
We need to focus our attention not on ourselves, but on the God who desires to lead us and guide us. Now, what does the Bible teach us about families? That they're important and that we're to honor one another and that we're to take care of one another. But in Luke chapter 14, Jesus says some words that are hard for us to hear when he says that if anybody would like to follow me, if anybody was considering being a committed disciple of mine and was not prepared to hate their father, mother, brother, sister, or anyone else in the structure of family for my sake, then they shouldn't even begin the journey. And we look at this as Americans going, that, that makes no sense. But let me tell you something. Even though that seems dramatic and staggeringly dramatic, it's not if you have come to Christ from a Muslim country. There was a young couple that sat in my office after having attended here as students of SU that had come from Iran. After being here for several months, they came into my office one Wednesday evening and said, we would like to convert to Christianity. And then they began to outline for me what it was that they were giving up as in order to make that decision. They knew that by doing so, it would cost them their family relationships. It would cost them the ability to ever go back home. They would lose all their inheritance, all their property, and all the businesses that their family may have owned. And they had chosen to give all of that up because they had chosen to follow Jesus. So when they sing, I have decided to follow Jesus, they know exactly what they're talking about because they were focused on the journey. We are in grave danger, loved ones, of becoming so preoccupied with innocent and praiseworthy things that it actually can be stuff that makes us stumble. Let me add, that to, the, let me add to that this. The aspect of being really, really diligent in business. Is that wrong? Absolutely not. In fact, it's lauded in the Bible. Is it innocent? Yes. Is it praiseworthy? Absolutely. The parable of the talents would help us to that end, if nothing else. And yet... Nevertheless, diligence in business may make a success out of you in this world only to discover that your priorities are all burned up in the judgment when you stand before God. Or what about this? And this is another fasting. What about people that are overly interested in theology? You're going, how can you be overly interested in theology? Let me tell you. Could an interest in theology and having the right answer all the time hinder you in your relationship with Jesus. You see, theology is the story of the knowledge of God. And there are some people who get so focused on some of the controversies of theology that they miss Jesus altogether. You go, well, how can that be? Well, sometimes they show up in your Bible studies. And the reason they do that is because they have to be heard and they have to ask questions that nobody else can answer. And as a result of that, it gets really, really uncomfortable in there as people focus so much on theology that they've lost the joy of following Jesus. And they're consumed with issues of rightness and tightness about everything, and it becomes stuff that hinders them and hinders others. And then, in the day and age in which we live, we're coming into that season again, what about politics and COVID procedures? I have seen these issues absolutely divide the church of Jesus Christ, where we have become so preoccupied with being right and being on this side or that side that we 
totally allow innocent issues, things that we hold opinions for, and we hold them as doctrine. And if you're not on my side, then you don't belong here. And we have lost the ability, and we've let innocent things destroy us from our journey. So church, let's be careful. One biblical commentator put it this way. Let us throw off everything that hinders every earthly pursuit, however innocent in itself when it interferes with the cultivation of Christian disposition and the practice of Christian duties and becomes a weight which we must lay aside. And let me add that to that list this. Do you know that even your hobbies can become something that innocently enough can begin to rob you of keeping your eyes on the finish line? If it makes you stumble then you need to reevaluate it. So examine yourself and see if there is anything that would impede you in your progress. Secondly, it says run with perseverance and let us run with perseverance or endurance. Christianity involves always, in every case, action. To be a Christian is to be introduced to a life of steady perseverance. It's significant that the verse said run with perseverance. It's a race that is set before us. The Christian race is a race that you, when you enter into it, are going to need to know it is going to take you a while. It is not a 50-yard dash. So many people have entered into this relationship and have the initial burn of joy, and then they burn out because the first time problems come along or the first time there's a hurdle to overcome, they're going, this is not what I signed up for. I signed up for Jesus to be my genie that when I rub the bottle, he takes everything away. And they begin to get burned out because they recognize it's a journey that requires perseverance. In fact, the, Jesus mentions this very thing in the parable of the soils in Matthew 13. He said, the gospel is sown into the world like seen. Some of it hits the road and the birds eat it up. In other words, I know that today there may be those of you that are sitting here or that you're watching online, and as the gospel hits you, there is no way it's going to penetrate your hard heart, and Satan will steal that seed away before it can do anything in you. The Scripture goes on to say, but some of it finds thin soil. It sprouts up quickly, then it withers away quickly. Jesus said that's like the person who hears the gospel at first, receives it with great joy, but quickly falls away because they're not willing to put in the time to persevere. When persecution comes or difficulty comes, they bail. It's another way of saying your journey with Christ is not a sprint. It's a marathon that you keep up for the long haul. And let me just tell you this, it's not how fast you start, it's not how fast you go in any certain part of your life, it's that you keep on following Jesus every single day. You, to, you keep on going because you know that someday you're going to finish the course. Let me provide some practical application here. When you run with endurance, it means that you get up and you choose some time during that day to have quiet time with Jesus. You choose how you are going to engage that. Some of you, like me, are early morning people. I like to get up early in the morning and have my time. Some of you, I've been asleep for four hours and your mind's still just working. And you're nighttime people. I don't care when it is, but if you're going to persevere in this race, you're going to need to find a time every day to be with Jesus in his word and with prayer. Running with endurance means that you are faithful to the ministry God gave you, even when you don't feel like it and even when you don't feel like it's doing any good. 
you just show up and you do it anyway. Running with endurance means that you continue to follow the Lord. Even when people hurt you, ooh. Even when people oppose you, even when people neglect you. And let me tell you something. There's not a one of us in this room that has not experienced all of those things. And it means that sometimes we run our race with perseverance with a limp because we have been hurt by people, but we don't let them kick us off the course. How many times have we heard people say, well, I don't go to church because it's filled with a bunch of hypocrites. Well, nobody lives up to that. Well, you weren't running the race for me. You weren't running the race for any of these. We're running the race for Jesus. And we keep our eyes fixed on him. So don't let people rob you of the opportunity to run the race. Running with endurance means that you follow the Lord even when you're going through difficult trials in your life. You don't let things derail you. You keep on putting one foot in front of the other. You keep on following Jesus even when you're limping while you're running, knowing that the journey is worth it. Running with endurance means that you honor God with your tithes and your offerings even when things are tight and there's other things you'd rather spend that on because you know that he is first and foremost in everything. And so you just take the next step even if it means limping. And that's what some of us need to do spiritually. Don't think about what God's going to do next year or in five years or ten years. Just take the next step today. Just get up and read your Bible today. Just go to church today. Just show up for your ministry today. Just say no to sin today. Just follow God's directions today and keep putting one foot in front of the other. Even when you don't think you can make it, just do it again and again and again. And the perseverance that you begin to put forward, the Holy Spirit will begin to anoint. Especially when you don't feel like it. You keep going. Thirdly, you run the race that's marked out for you. You run the race that's marked out for you. I think it's important for us to each understand that we are not all going to run the same race. The race that God has marked out for me is different than the race that God has marked out for you. And God has given to each of us a personal design for how he wants us to run. And I can't run your race and you can't run my race no matter how much I wish I could or no matter how much you wish you could. Our races, while they're going to the same goal, will be entirely different to the course that we are on. For those of you that are historians, and I know that we have a bunch of them here in this church, so I'm always really, really careful when I get to history things because I'll hear about it if I mess it up. In 1776, George Washington made his famous crossing of the Delaware River to have a surprise attack on the Hessians, the German troops, and the British that hired to fight the colonies at Trenton, New Jersey. This happened on Christmas Day. What we may not know as much about is that Washington had actually split his army up into different groups, and each of those groups took a different path to attack the enemy. One group went with him to cross the Delaware, and that later split into two different groups at a road. He sent two other groups to attack from the south, all of them part of the same army, all of them with the same objective, all of them with a different path. So it is as I look around this room today. We are all part of the army of God. We all have the same objective. I will rejoice like crazy when I see all of you in heaven. 
because we will have all gotten there. But your journey of getting there and my journey of getting there will all be different. And I cannot run your race for you. I'm thankful today that Jesus is my general, that He is undefeated. We sing, Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. I'm glad it didn't indicate anywhere in that song that victory might be in question. We are victorious because of Jesus. And so whatever pathway you're on today, you need to know you are going to win if you'll just keep running. The race that He sets apart for you and me is different. I know believers overseas in India and Peru and places in Africa who have to run their Christian race through a pathway of poverty. Many of us in America don't have that race, but we have to run our race through the temptations of prosperity and entertainment and sensuality that continually bombard us and tempt us to stop following the Lord. Some of us may wish that we were running a different race than the one that we're on. Maybe you wish that you could sing or that you could preach or that you could teach or use some different gift than God gave to you. Don't worry about running somebody else's race. God never set that race in front of you. Just run the race he gave to you. He did it because he knew that you were perfectly capable of running this race. Some of you today are running your race through great discouragement. There have been life events that have taken place disappointments, some of them disappointments in other people, and you are running your race today, but you're doing so with a broken heart. Some of you today are running your race through terrible health issues. Some of you are running your race while going through cancer treatments. You're going, I never saw this coming. Some of us are running our race while spending most of our time caring for loved ones, spouses, parents, and we're thinking, why is this my race? And on and on and on we could go about the different circumstances that we each have to face. Yet, we are to run the race that's been set before us. Maybe you wish your circumstances could change and that you could run a different race. All you can do is persevere in the race God has set before you, even if you're doing it with a limp. I often think of Peter and Jesus and a conversation they had as Jesus was telling Peter how the end of his life would come. About that time, John walks by. And, and Peter goes, what about him? I, I don't really like this race you've outlined for me, but, you know, tell me how he's going to have to suffer. And Jesus goes, it's none of your stinking business. That's, that's the dement version of that. It's in First Dementians. It's none of your business what I do with somebody else. The business that you have is running the race that I have marked out for you. And that's true for all of us. Whatever He has given for you, run the race with perseverance. And lastly, fix your eyes on Jesus. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. The Bible says that while we're running this race, that there is a Savior who's standing at the finish line looking at us. The other day, I had the privilege of, of officiating at a wedding. I, I'm not sure why they use that term officiating because, you know, nobody fights at a wedding very often. <laughs> you know, foul, offsides, illegal use of the hands. <laughs> I, sh I should just stop. 
But at this wedding, I've had the joy of standing right next to grooms for a long time. And whether it is the bride coming down stairways or she's coming through the door, coming up an aisle, there, there's this moment of fascination that I love as I, as I stare at the groom and I, I look at the bride and many times she's coming down the aisle on the arm of her father and her father recognizes that as he's walking her down, he no longer is the most important man in her life. He's just window dressing. And there's this interaction as the the groom is looking at his bride and he's looking her in the eyes and she fixes her gaze on him and there may be 20 people or 1,000 people and nobody else matters. There's this sense of joy because something is about to take place as the bride and groom join their lives together. I believe that it is not out of context for us to take that vision and recognize that as the bride of Christ, we are coming down the, rain, the lane that we are in. And the groom, the bridegroom of heaven is standing there and he says, just look at me. Don't worry about what's going on in lanes around you. Don't worry about the voices on the outside. I'm standing at the altar. You're wearing a wedding dress of white because I earned it for you. You're walking in holiness because I've given that to you. Just look me in the eyes and ignore everything else that's going on. That's the perseverance that Jesus says, if we can walk in this world with that kind of laser focus, it doesn't matter the race that is marked out for you. Even if you come in wounded and scarred, and even if you're limping, we will persevere because we fix our eyes on Jesus Christ and Him alone who will bring us to the finish line. Worship team, I'm going to ask if you would please come. Some of you today remember back when we used to have driver's ed in school. Some of you remember that? I remember one of the lessons that they taught us was at night when you're driving, you don't look at the headlights of oncoming traffic because whatever you look at, you have a tendency to drift toward. And so you look at your lane, even when traffic is coming by, you just look in your lane. Today, I want to encourage you to just keep your eyes fixed on your lane. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Look to him. Drift towards him, not anyone or anything else. Because if you fix your eyes on anything else, you're going to say, man, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can keep up. I don't know if I can do that ministry. I don't know if I can turn away from that temptation. I don't know if I can do the hard thing that God is asking me to do. I don't know if I can make it through this sickness. I don't know if I can make it through these treatments. I don't know if I can keep caring for my spouse or my mom or my dad. I don't know if I can keep this race going for long. If you look at the race, you will fall. If you look at the end and keep your eyes on Jesus, you will persevere. Now, I'd like you to stand with me, please. How many of you need to refocus today? All over this room. You only get this for about 30, maybe 40 minutes. I had to marinate in this for two weeks. Can't tell you how many times, just in preparation, I'm driven to my knees going, Lord, please do not let me speak something that you haven't first dealt with in my own life. 
because it's so easy to get distracted with everything that's going on around us. And today the Lord simply says, lift up your eyes and look at me.